Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sheena. I'm Trent. I'm Mackenzie. And this is Imagine This. Uh, today, uh, I'm in charge. I'm the captain now. Hi, <laughs> hi, captain. Hi. Um, today is our uh, Black History episode. So we wanted to talk a little bit about, um, I guess, kind of what theater kind of looks like now. Um, I have a very like broad uh, sort of look at black history in theater because I learned a lot of it like very late in mm. life, like in college when I was going through because um, so, you know, black history that's taught in schools is not great anyway. Um, my parents took a special interest in black history, though, because they were the chairs of their black history committee when they lived um when they were in the military and so they were the chairs of their chapter in colorado of the black history committee and they very early on wanted to instill me and my brother with lots of pride in and in black history so they taught us a lot just like completely outside of school so we learned a lot of things um but when i started getting into theater Um, my mom actually like started voicing a little bit of like the fear of, well, sweetie, you're not white. So like, what is that going to look like for you? And, um, that was quite an interesting thing to go through as a, as a young girl. Um, cause I didn't want to acknowledge that there was any difference between me and everyone else. I was like, I'm the most talented one in the room. That's easy. You know, we can do this. (laughs) That's all that matters. Um, And I didn't really, like, look into black history, like, historical theater. I didn't really think that there was a precedent for it because, again, like, most of my theater education had been about Shakespeare and these other long-running theaters. So I didn't really know very much about, like, African theater um, and how there was a big presence of that. And then, like, the Chitlin Circuit and all of these other things, um, Paul Robeson, all of these other 
figures that were prominent in black history. The first um, black historical figure that I learned about in theater and film was Sidney Poitier, um, who is still one of my favorite actors to this day. I love him so, so much. Um, And he was awesome. Awesome, awesome. So that's kind of my overview of what I know of black history in theater and film um, to begin with. (laughs) I have been in so many productions of Raisin in the Sun, all of those things. So um, now I'm very interested in more contemporary black theater and film and what that looks like. Yeah, and I, I think what I might add to what we're going to talk about is that I think it's, on the one hand, Black History Month is really important because it does push a lot of theaters to do shows by playwrights that they might not otherwise produce, to tell stories that might not otherwise be on their short list of things to showcase to audiences, right? Mm -hmm. But then on the flip side of that, there's one month a year where they're considering these plays, right? And so I think that it's important to talk about the good but then also, like, there's some there's some damage being done by squashing black theater into this one month. Oh, a hundred percent. Me and my friends, I've joked about this with Trent and my friends as all the time, is that like February is my busy season um, because that's when everybody's doing a black show. Um, that's when we're seeing a raisin in the sun, a trip to Bountiful, which are the two most popular shows I think with white audiences um ever so we see a lot of productions of those um the color purple doesn't get produced as much I think because there's so much that has to (laughs) there's so much that has to go into the production of them but you see a lot of black productions going up in February and that's great like we absolutely should commemorate the month but then it me it kind of gives an out to especially predominantly white theaters that are not thinking about black art the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. It gives them an out to be like, well, we we're doing our one black show and it, it's going to be in February. So like we're done, we're good. Right. Um, it sort of squashes some of the conversations that we really need to have about diversity and inclusion and equity in throughout your season. Um, and so to bring in um, some other people into this conversation, Allie is actually back with us because we enjoyed having her so much on our last episode. And last episode, Allie, you actually mentioned a play, Don Mm -hmm. Trell Who Kissed the Sea, as one of your favorite plays, but not necessarily something that you would work on because it's outside your lived experience, right? Kind of bringing last episode into this episode. But could you speak a little bit maybe to why that play appeals to you and why you think it's important. Brashina talked about being interested in contemporary African-American theater. Um, Why are these stories that we should be considering outside of the scope of the one month? And, you know, as you know, you said this is one of your favorite plays and there's like a lot of plays in the world, right? So why this one for you and why do we need to be looking at plays like this more than one month a year? Because there's more to these plays than just the characters they present. And it's important to honor that and to uplift that and to give that a voice, I would say. Uh, Don Trello Kiss to See, it's a play that features a prim- primarily b- Black cast. Um, and it's about 
identity and legacy and like, who am I in this long line of people, which is something that we all question, no matter what our lived experience is. Um, and so I really engaged with that. It's also presented in a format that uses magical realism. So um, there are elements that are not, not quite real, not quite every day um, to the play. I don't want to spoil anything because one of them is a quite a big reveal, but that playfulness and the whimsy that comes with magical realism is something really beautiful um, and an expansive opportunity um, in terms of like plays for Black History Month. Not all Black plays have to be about Black history. Um, and it's important that not when we're thinking about plays we program that we don't just focus on that to like check the box and be like, okay, we did a Black play. We talked about Black history. It's like, what, what range of voices are you giving um, sound to? Are you giving a voice to? Are you uplifting? Um, and that's important to the actors too and anybody a part of it is to be a part of this varied work that everybody else gets to be a part of too. Um, and it's beautiful and wonderful and so well written and there's so many of those plays. Yes. And it's excited. There's so many, you're right, there's so many good well-written well -written plays out there um, that are about the Black experience that have very little to do with Black history. Like mm. there are tropes that, you know, come from black history, but the show itself is not about black history or, and it's so interesting that we have those shows and I, I love doing those types of shows. I even, I even really love the chance to transform a show. My favorite project that I did in college was, um, it was a scene, well, it was two scenes and they were both from Shakespeare. And the prompt was that they had to put, pick these two drastic scenes and these two differing scenes from different genres of Shakespeare and that they had to transform with a word. Mm. That was the prompt. And so the director for that scene, Aaron Brown, who's one of my favorite people at Baylor, um, he decided that it was going to be a play on uh, Gullah culture. And the reason that he did that was so we started with a scene from The Tempest, the wedding scene. And so it's this very like joyful scene. There's a lot of, um, there's music in it. It's a very just like opulent scene because it's at the end of the play. And so it's like the wedding to end all weddings and everything. It was very sweet and romantic. And then it changes to the witches scene with Macbeth. <laughs> it was so cool um but the way that and he decided that it was going to be based on like Gullah Geechee culture and hoodoo so we went from so like we did this was a play where we did so much research just like behind the scenes because we were trying to find like what are the significant colors mm -hmm. for this culture like how do we turn those things around we really got into it and so um we started off with the wedding and we had a lot of like very interesting iconography all of the um because there are the three goddesses that are in the scene all of us were wearing these like halos sort of similar to what beyonce wore when she yes. performed um i think at the grammys when she was pregnant mm -hmm. um we wore these like very similar halos and we had this very ethereal nature to us we were singing um and you know like the spirits were out frolicking sort of thing and when it changed to macbeth is when we got the hoodoo slash voodoo influence into the show and so then the colors turned and we were wearing white and then all of a sudden it was washed in red and there's this very just like grimy feel to it and we put 
you know, different things on our faces. So it was closer to like being in hoodoo. Um, and it was, and then all of a sudden we had dancers that like came out from behind the stage and they were doing, you know, uh, this, uh, dance that was very similar to what you would do in a, in a ritual sort of thing. So it was so interesting and so cool. And that had like Shakespeare has nothing to do with black culture. Right. But being able to infuse black culture into it was so cool. And it was super interesting for me because, like, my grandfather on my mom's side is actually tied to, like, Gullah Geechee culture. So, like, that brought in a very, like, personal element to that that uh, performance. And it was one of the best things yeah. I've ever done. I loved it. I love the opportunity to do that. I would love more opportunities to do that in different places. I think that um, what... Ali and Brashina have said are really important because I think that Black History Month often gets wrapped up in Black history, right? Yeah. And we see that reflected in the choices that theaters make. Because, frankly, I mean, a lot of times theaters are choosing shows based on how they think they can get people in seats. The Mountaintop? Right? If I see another production of The Mountaintop, oh my gosh. For those of you who don't know what it is, it's about MLK, right? Yeah. And for no other reason than that it's a play about Martin Luther King Jr., does it get produced? It's, I'm sorry, it's overrated. I'm tired of seeing it. If it were about anyone except Martin Luther King Jr., it wouldn't get produced. But they think, but they're like, people know MLK. Let's produce it, and people will come see it. And the problem is, they're not wrong, mm -hmm. right? That's truly the it's, issue. It's a very easy play to talk about MLK with because it doesn't do anything to like dis like it doesn't do anything to talk about who he actually was as a man. No. He's just basically like philosophized philosophy philosophizing the, yes philosophizing the entire show about you know his last days so it's it's a very easy play to produce yeah <laughs> and the other thing that gets done that other than black history are gospel shows those the, the that's what get, that's what happens during black history month <laughs> is either let's have an actual historical piece mm -hmm. where we can be like come learn something about black history or we throw gospel songs at the stage because who doesn't love black music mm -hmm. right well, these I, are the tunes of the spectrum that we get during yeah. february well again i think it's easier to and ally and um Mackenzie, please, like, you know, speak into the space. But I think it's so much easier to enter black history through those two lenses mm -hmm. because black history is such a hard thing for, um, especially in America, black history is such a hard thing for white Americans to really, like, reckon with because there's a lot of things that, like, like the reason that we have so many black inventors and things that we've never heard of was because they were doing things in spite of their circumstances. And we then have to look back and be like, well, what were the circumstances? Ah, white supremacy. But and I guess then here's, here's the question, though, right? Is who is Black History Month for? Black people. Is it, though? <laughs> but you see what I mean, I'm saying? I mean, how you I, I agree. Yeah. But, I mean, even just what you're saying, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. that Those are the two spaces through which it's easiest for mm -hmm. people to enter into Black History Month. But when we say people, we're talking about white people. 
right? Those yeah. are the two spaces through which yeah. it's easier for white people to enter into this conversation. Well, I mean, everybody, honestly, like it's like I don't I don't say that it's easiest just because it's easiest for white people. It's literally easiest for everybody to just enter into the feel good black history sure. because it doesn't come with having to reckon with a lot like there are a lot of things that we have to reckon with as black Americans going into black history month as well that we're not always ready or able to process. So those shows are also easiest for us. Mm. It's the things that come harder that we have to deal with. It's like, I would really, uh, there was uh, uh, recently a Hulu production of Kindred, um, which is a very hard novel to delve into it just it has a lot of complex layers to it basically like about your lineage and if you actually could go back in history would you change things could Ugh. you change things like and that that comes to both a black woman and a white man so like it's getting those two lenses and octavia butler is brilliant um and so it it asks a lot of really hard questions I would love to see a stage adaptation if somebody could try. Like, don't do it unless you actually think you could do it because mm. it's actually a really good novel. Don't ruin it. But I would love to see somebody try to tackle that on stage, that sort of idea. But we we don't really get that very often. And, and I don't want to talk about slave play because I don't like it. <laughs> well, then we won't. <laughs> <laughs> we'll boycott it conversationally. <laughs> what? What play? I don't. I know not of what you speak. Um, if you no, see me I on the street and you want to see me get angry immediately, ask me about slave play. You heard it here first. <laughs> ask Prashina about slave play. That's her favorite subject. Yeah, Ali, <laughs> chime in. I we were talking about mountaintop and MLK and things like that, and I feel like as someone who loves to read plays by black authors um we need to talk about how the easy choice is to repeat the same amplification that other people have done um because a lot of people they're like okay i'm gonna do a raisin in the sun um because it's been done right yeah um there are so many other plays i know right now alice childress's trouble in mind is getting produced a lot mm -hmm. which is yeah. exciting because she was a black female playwright at the same time as Lorraine Hansberry, mm -hmm. who whose work didn't actually make it to Broadway because it was talking about race and race relations yeah. between white people. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've got to we've got to take the time and the effort. I feel like as white people to be open to these stories and to listen and to make sure that we're not just repeating and like retweeting the button of what's been produced, but making space for new things to be produced and read and seen and heard. That's really yeah. good. Um, mm -hmm. And so, Mackenzie, speaking of, you know, kind of things being reproduced and reamplified, you're kind of our resident theater historian, right? And so I don't know what better segue there is to talk about, you know, Shakespeare. And Brashina actually already kind of set you up here talking about the way that she experienced an infusion of black culture into Shakespeare. Um, but what are what are your thoughts here in terms of this conversation looking backwards or your experiences in London studying Shakespeare, um, you know, yeah, just chime in here from a different perspective. 
Yeah. Okay. So the Globe since about, I think, 2018 has put on this wonderful thing called the Shakespeare and Race Festival that I was able to attend this year. Um, it was founded by one of my professors, Professor Farah Karam Cooper. Um, she is brilliant, wonderful, amazing. Like this was oh, the coolest thing to get to attend. Um, it was just seminars and panels, for people all across the world talking about how do we continue to produce Shakespeare in a way that is not harmful and hurtful, but also honors the storytelling and honors the plays. Um, and so it was a very, it was, it was so fascinating. Um, but we talk a lot, we talk a lot about um, um, post-colonialism and, and critical race theory um, when it comes to Shakespeare criticism and stuff like that. And so we, we've talked a lot about Othello and a lot about Merchant of Venice and stuff like that. And it's become very clear um, that through these texts, it was so deeply ingrained in Elizabethan culture the idea of um, fairness and darkness and whiteness versus darkness and like beauty standards and just the way this is it was it was very clear binary and these ideas are very much perpetuated throughout these works and it is very clear that mm -hmm. Shakespeare was writing for a predominantly white audience and so these plays have been potentially quite damaging these plays have been used as tools of colonialism pretty much since they were written because that mm. is when the that is when British colonialism really started so they are a symbol of colonialism and a symbol of white supremacy honestly sometimes um and so it becomes very important for us to look at these texts because like we there are so many things in these plays that are just easy for us to read over and not even register in our brains that that is a, a very harmful racial thing um for example it's it said in it's right stream in a Romeo and Juliet many times um something about oh she is this rich as a jewel in an ethiop's ear mm -hmm. we can't say that that is that is racist <laughs> that is not good anytime that the word fair or foul is used in shakespeare it is nine times out of ten a racial reference yeah um so even in macbeth fair is foul and foul is fair that is that potentially is quite problematic um and so it becomes very important grips to look at what we are truly putting on stage and to dramaturgically research these plays and research things. And it is important for actors to then in turn understand what they are saying and directors to understand what they are putting on stages. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that um, it's really important with kind of with what both you and Ali have said that knowing the context in which something was written, knowing why something was written is actually an important part of this conversation. I mean, unshockingly, this is what we <laughs> turn to again and again on this mm -hmm. podcast, right? I mean, understanding that Shakespeare has been used as a colonialist tool and then thinking through, okay, so what do these stories have to say today? How do we amend them? How do, how do we interpret them in a way mm -hmm. that is forward thinking and not like anchoring us in a place in the past that we don't want to remain in. Mm -hmm. But then also, you know, Ali brings up the childress plays that are now being reproduced decades later mm -hmm. um, as someone who we now recognize was frankly before her time in terms of the types of plays she was writing for the public to consume, right? Mm -hmm. And so who we're producing really matters because we have to understand the perspective that was being written so that we can produce it well from a better perspective now, right? We want to, mm -hmm. because the other piece of this is that not only does it matter who wrote it, but it matters who we're presenting it to, right? Are we 
producing a play so that people see their own experience reflected back to them on stage? Are we producing a play so that people can see an experience that is not their own and experience empathy and feel educated about new subjects? And both of those are good and valid reasons to produce a play, right? Mm -hmm. But they're very different and they should lead you probably to different selections. I mean, kind of. I I think so. Like I had a really good conversation with a friend yesterday and we were talking about Black Panther mm-hmm. and how that was such a like unique experience um, in so many ways in that it was a movie written for and by black people. And that that was just that was written for us like we understood and knew that every piece of art that went into it was from a black artist and that it was about you know the diaspora like we all connected with it it was very good very interesting but there was also this global phenomenon of everyone not like all non-black people also enjoying it and also looking in and seeing like, oh, wow, this is this is a story about strength and beauty and, you know, getting all of these good things from it. And I think that what comes what that came from was the specificity of the project. Mm. When you have things that are written specifically for a group of people, then people are able to actually look in on the experience and be. Uh, and see that like, oh, there's humanity here. I think that's why A Raisin in the Sun is so popular because it is one of those things that was written specifically about black culture and about the black living experience at that time. It was very specific in who it was talking to and it allowed everyone else to see in to the world. Um, I think that those kinds of plays are kind of rare and they're they're hard to write. <laughs> they're not easy, but I think that's what actually like helped to foster that conversation. Like sometimes yes, those plays look different, but I think a lot of the times they actually look like the same. If that makes sense. It does. I think that it's you still have to know who it's for first, right? Mm-hmm. In the case of the yeah. Black Panther, it wasn't written for everyone, mm-hmm. right? And so I think that you're correct, but it still has to be a specific audience, right? Mm-hmm. And we've talked about specificity also again and again on this show, right? That the more specific you are, then the more universal it becomes, mm-hmm. right? So I think you still have to say, who is this, who is this show being produced for? Um, and by answering that question, it then becomes accessible to more people. But I still think you have to say, this is who it's for. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, I there's so many there's so many plays and so many playwrights and so many actors and directors that are still looking to have their stories told, and we have the resources to be able to put them on. So, like, why don't we just put them on? <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that you know we're talking about this idea of Black History Month. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, right, I think we agree that it's important. And yet, I wish we could break from this mold of one month a year focusing on these conversations, 
right? Yeah. Because we're never going to get to see all of the stories that the four of us want to see if they're only produced in February, right? It's limiting. And to Ali's point made earlier, it's not only about the black experience in those plays. There are, there's things beyond that. Right. Um, And if we could just get to the point where all plays about all people are important and worthy of being told, then suddenly the conversation starts to shift. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I've, and I've seen that transformation, like, you know, doing theater, you end up, on a lot of creative teams. That's just kind of the nature of the biz. And you can see the difference between somebody planning a season and going, oh, we need to make sure that we hit our benchmarks. Um, and somebody going, you know, what are the shows that, what are some stories that we need to put on? What does our community need? What, um, what shows are there that will help us tell a different story who can we invite in to our community it looks so much different and i just wish we'd get closer to that <laughs> ali or mckenzie do y'all have kind of thoughts as this conversation have progressed that you'd like to kind of add into the space before we wrap up I think I can say as someone who loves reading plays and thinks everybody should read more plays, you can start small just by diversifying your readership as someone who likes theater, as a theater artist, as just someone who thinks that this is important. Um, Plays are quite simple and short to read most of the time, but offer a lot of fruit for thought Um, and diversifying your reading is where it starts. I actually think that's very important and actionable advice. Um, And not just fans of theater, people who direct, people who produce, please diversify what you read. Because I really think that part of the problem is that people don't read some of a lot of the plays that we're talking about. So it's not on their list of potential productions because they only read from a very short list of what they might slide into their February slot. But if like Ali's saying, you're truly diversifying who you're reading and what you're reading, well, you start to fall in love with more stories and now you have to find more space in your season for these stories that you desperately want to tell. So I think that's actually really simple, but really important and potentially leads to much larger level change than just a reading list if you're willing to at least take that step. Yeah, I agree. It does. So you heard it here first. Read different people. Read different stories. Read Read things not just that you think you can produce in the next few months or next season. Read things that you would never dream of producing because then years down the line, you have these titles floating in your head that you just wouldn't have otherwise. Um, And as you continue to build relationships and talk to different people and add different experiences into your creative teams, then more options start to emerge. But it won't happen if those options aren't available to you because you've never heard of them or read them. Yeah. And and we can't do, like, nobody can do the work for you. That's something you have to do. There's mm-hmm. never going to be a completely comprehensive, ready-made list 
of people, plays, and things that you can just pull from to get exactly what you need. You have to do the work yourself. And um, it's not the black person's job on your creative team to do that work either. Just, what? I know. That's so interesting. It, and it's painful that that's even a thing I feel like I have to say, but it's important, right? Yeah. When you're building reading lists for play selection, please, for the love of God, do not ask. the. And this isn't just for your black creatives. Mm-hmm. This is for me as a queer creative or any of the rest of the people speaking as a female creative. Do not ask the people who are of minority status to bring a list of titles that fits their experience. Uh, I can think of nothing more disgusting. I'm sorry, Trent. Is that like extra emotional labor you're asking for? Is that what you're saying? Is that it, what you're saying I, it is? It's lazy is what it is. <laughs> like, I'm sorry that you don't have these experiences. Go read about them. Mm-hmm. That honestly, like, again, I think it comes from, uh, like you were saying, laziness is that it's easy. This person is right in front of me. I can just ask them. To like do this thing. It's fine. You know what you could also do? Not do that. (laughs) You have to go and do the research. Like you can't you you can't just look at mainstream titles and then be like, why is there no good black art? You'll drive yourself insane. You have to go do the work. You have to go hunting for these things because they're not necessarily hidden, but they're also not being pushed out to everybody. So you have to go looking. That's that's the takeaway for today. So read more plays, not the ones you would normally read. Go look for new plays. We talk about the importance of new work all the time. Um, And honor Black History Month. We're not saying scrap the whole thing. It's really important, right? Mm -hmm. But also it cannot stop in February. It just can't. It's not. It's not fair. It's not fun. No. It's hurting everyone, right? Like, I don't, this isn't about, well, um, I almost said a thing that wasn't true. I was about to say it's not about having more representation of black artists. It is, mm-hmm. but it's not just about that. Mm-hmm. We all suffer by these stories not being told, not only the black artists that get to embody them. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that, what I was about to say wasn't true, but it is true, but it's not just that. It's it's all of us that are losing out by being limited to February, not just those artists that get to work on those projects. Mm-hmm. You got to keep the conversation going. Well, this was an awesome discussion, y'all. <laughs> this was very good. Thank you for joining us twice, <laughs> Allie. That was yes. so fun. And your thoughts are so great. Mm-hmm. I read plays all the time, and I feel like I need to go read more plays. <laughs> I know the plays you're reading. You're reading so many of them. I'm reading so many plays. Mackenzie, tell them where they can find out more about us than Allie. You can remind them where they can find more about you so that because they're going to want to talk to you because you're brilliant. And yeah, I think we're wrapped for today, friends. Woo! Okay. You can find us on Instagram at Imagine This Theater Pod Theater with an R E or at Wild Imaginings Waco. Also at wildimaginingswaco.com or through our wonderful producers, Rogue Media Networks. And Allie, tell them where they can find your brilliant work. Uh, you can find me on at Allie Veritek on Instagram. That's V-A-R-I-T-E-K. It's Jack. Um, I often recommend plays, so you might find some stumble upon some there. Um, but a quick shout out 
if you are wanting to read more plays, New Play Exchange is a great place to find plays and find plays to diversify your reading. Absolutely. We're huge fans of New Play Exchange. Um, and once again, thank you so much for joining us. We know that the conversations we have are often challenging and maybe from perspectives that um, you're not always used to hearing, but we love that you join us anyway. And so thank you for joining us for another episode of Imagine This. Thank you.